Hello world and welcome to the Overtone Warp Zone. This podcast is for people who enjoy games, love music, and want to know more about how their favorite songs work. In season one, we're taking a look at musical concepts found in pieces from Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. I'm Dan Bergman, and let's get started. Masahiro Sakurai, the director of Super Smash Bros., is insane. In a good way, at least for the fans, maybe not for his own sanity. He pays huge respect to the games that Smash Bros. borrows from, and his attention to detail is unparalleled. There are countless ways he does this. You can trace almost all of each character's attacks back to some source material of some kind, no matter how obscure that material is. Whenever you fight against a character's spirit, the rules of that match perfectly reflect the abilities or nature of that spirit. Finer details, such as little characteristics about the stages, aren't overlooked either. Charizard and Incineroar take damage while floating in water. If you footstool Piranha Plant while he's crouched, you'll take damage. Many of the characters' alternate costumes allude to their look at a certain game or resemble another similar character. And of course, the list goes on. One major detail Sakurai has included is the role of the Animal Crossing singer-songwriter doggo, K.K. Slider. He's existed in the Animal Crossing series ever since its origins on the GameCube, or in Japan, the N64, and is known for his exclusive Saturday night performances only from 8pm to midnight. Let's get today's tracks going. All Animal Crossing songs in this episode are composed by series composer Kazumi Tataka. This is K.K. Slider himself with the song K.K. Western, straight from the original Animal Crossing, also found in Smash Ultimate. Just like in the original series, K.K. Slider appears in Smash Ultimate only on Saturdays between 8pm and midnight on the Animal Crossing stages Town and City and Smashville. On those days, the crowd of animals that normally observes the fights and cheers you on is too endeared by K.K. Slider to give you any attention. Our singing pup randomly picks from a list of six songs, all of them from the original Animal Crossing game. That said, the original game I just referred to includes a total of 55 songs, and the latest installment, New Leaf, has a whopping 91 songs in total. 
Throughout the series, the settings may change, from the train station, to a cafe, to a club, but KK's role remains the same. The anti-establishment hippie who plays music for the love of it. He's arguably one of the most beloved characters in the series, and maybe one of the most loved singer-songwriter characters in video games. And I think it's his free spirit and passion that make him so beloved. Let's keep going with the tunes. This one is K.K. Condor. In the New Leaf game, KK Slider takes on a new role as DJ KK, running club LOL from Sunday to Friday nights, playing remixed versions of all his tunes. While the billboard is usually blue outside, occasionally it will show as pink, in which case KK's songs will be in 8-bit mode instead. On Saturday nights, however, you can count on the billboard being yellow, in which case you'll hear a classic acoustic KK tune. Speaking of which, here's one more for you. KK Cruisin'. sure that one's my favorite. Now, take a step back with me for a second. There's plenty of other music that plays in the Animal Crossing series, but when K.K. Slider is involved, it's different. The music produced when he's around is actually audible to the characters in the game, as opposed to things like menu and title screen music or background music in people's homes. There is a term for this in the industry, and that term is... Diegetic music! Also referred to as source music, diegetic music is part of the conceived fictional setting the characters find themselves in and, as such, is actually heard by those characters. The opposite of this would be incidental music, or simply non-diegetic music. This would be the music that can't be heard by the characters in the fictional setting, and I would argue is the predominant type of music in gaming. 
The term diegetic and non-diegetic is also used, of course, in film and television. In the movie Star Wars Episode IV and New Hope, we can see examples of both diegetic and non-diegetic. Let's compare two scenes from early in the film on Tatooine and see how the music is treated. First, consider when Luke and Obi-Wan enter that hive of scum and villainy known as Moss Eisley, looking for a transport off of the planet. As they enter the cantina, this piece of music plays. Cantina Band Number 1, composed by John Williams. This music is obviously diegetic. You can see the band members in the shot, people are swaying to the music. The characters are aware that this is happening. This is especially obvious when the whole room, including the musicians, go completely silent after Obi-Wan <coughs> defends himself by cutting a goon's arm off at the bar. Everyone stops to watch. Then the music picks up again right away like nothing happened. <laughs> By contrast, earlier in the film, an angsty Luke Skywalker has his hopes and dreams of joining the Academy shut down by his hick moister farmer Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. Disheartened, he leaves his dinner early to dramatically lean against the outside of his farmstead and gaze off at Tatooine's twin sons as they set. Luke is caught between his desire for something greater in his life, but also the knowledge that helping his uncle farm moisture on the harsh desert planet is the right thing to do. That crushing thought, as well as Luke's inevitable destiny, weave together like the two setting suns, and we are given this John Williams gem, the binary sunset force theme. This music is of course not something that Luke is actually hearing, but it underscores his unseen internal monologue for the listener's sake. Therefore, this is non-diegetic music. To quote Aunt Beru, Luke's just not a farmer, Owen. He's got too much of his father in him. So clearly, each type of music has its place. Directors can, of course, toy with this idea too. Take, for example, The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Denethor asks Pippin to sing him a song while he himself disgustingly devours turkey legs and cherry tomatoes while his son dies in a field. Pippin is disturbed at the dark times and is used to singing bar songs and other merry tunes. Reluctantly, he thinks of one of the only songs fitting for times such as these and sings it to Denethor. This was composed by Howard Shore and arranged by Philippa Boyens. And shadow, cloud and shade. Now, of course, Pippin didn't have an orchestra to creepily accompany him as he sang this little ditty to the steward, 
nor was the reverb in Denethor's Hall nearly as intense as it was in this recording. In this case, the diegetic music of Pippin singing was underscored by the non-diegetic music reflecting the emotions of the characters as the scene cut from Faramir hopelessly charging the bunker of orcs, Denethor greedily eating his dinner, and Pippin tearfully performing this tune. Here's another way to toy with diegetic music. Mickey Mousing. This technique was used extensively in cartoons, especially pre-1950s. This is when some element of what's seen on screen moves or reacts in time with the music. This is seen first in the classic inaugural short film by Walt Disney, Steamboat Willie, with music by Wilfred Jackson and Burt Lewis. The characters on the screen move in time to the background music throughout, with Mickey Mouse famously bouncing along and whistling to music coming from nowhere at the beginning of the film. In those days, no one had really synced animation to music cues quite like this, so it was revolutionary for its time. However, the technique was so overused that it's typically frowned upon today, being considered a juvenile and baser form of music. When used properly, however, it still could be effective. to the world of gaming. While non-diegetic music is predominant in most of gaming, there are plenty of examples of diegetic music. Take something as simple as putting a KK slider record on in your Animal Crossing home, or changing the radio in a game of Grand Theft Auto. Though the music serves as background music, its source is from the actual fiction of the game heard by those characters, and it increases the immersion of the player. There are plenty more examples where characters are the ones playing the instruments, of course. Very notably here is the Legend of Zelda series. The N64 titles famously include the Ocarina of Time, which in Majora's Mask also transforms into different instruments when Link changes forms with his various masks. Then there's the Wind Waker Baton, which magically produces sound from nowhere, I guess, the Goddess Harp from Skyward Sword, and even Wolf Link howling in Twilight Princess. Many characters in Zelda play instruments, such as Guru Guru when he cranks his organ thing to play the Song of Storms. Bet you didn't know that was his name. Cass when he plays his accordion in Breath of the Wild to confer encrypted messages to Link. Link himself even plays a recorder in the NES version of the game. Characters from Donkey Kong 64 play bongo, guitar, trombone, saxophone, and triangle. Mario conducts an orchestra of tadpoles in Super Mario RPG. There's the opera scene in Final Fantasy VI. There 
there are bells in the Overwatch map, Dorado, where if you hit them in a certain order, they play the game's theme. And if you do that while playing as Wrecking Ball, the hamster himself squeaks the theme of the game. We talked about individual characters playing music, but what about bands? Here's two examples for you. There's the Super Mario players who both accompany Pauline in Jump Up Superstar, but also perform their own instrumental version of the original game's ground theme. Secondly, there's the Runaway Five, a recurring jazz band from Earthbound. There are a million examples of diegetic music in video games. Why is this example of video game characters doubling as musicians so ubiquitous? I think it's maybe because these characters tend to be quirky and set apart because of the music they make. Or maybe it's that the developers of these games are alluding to some kind of innate power that can be harnessed from music. A wonderful concept if you ask me. How about the different ways in which composers have toyed with the ideas of diegetic music and the character's own awareness of the fact that music is being played around them? Well, consider when you play New Super Mario Bros. Wii, in the beginning stages especially. In particular, the opening stages use a vocal sample that goes like, ba ba. If you watch the enemies on the screen in these moments, They'll move on the vocal cues as if they're dancing along or even singing those parts. Remember our concept of Mickey Mousing from earlier? This is a cutesy way for the developers to reiterate that they are marketing to audiences of all ages, especially the youngins. Here's a really fun example of how composers toy with the idea of diegetic music. In his first major hit, Luigi wanders around his mansion and hums to himself as though everything is going to be okay, even though this is the game that painted him as the big-time coward that he seems to be today. The thing is, aside from the humming, where's the rest of the music coming from? Major props to voice actor Charles Martineau for pulling off this performance. Ultimately, there's a lot of charm to a character who is involved in music in some way. As a composer, it's good to know certain things about the game you're composing for, such as the fiction, the feeling, and the themes of the game, so as to best work the elements of diegetic music for the listener. I have to close today's episode with this topical reference, at least at the time of the publishing of this podcast. Overspace is a remixer who has a host of K.K. Slider tunes he has personally arranged using samples from the Animal Crossing games. And this one is a cover of a modern classic, Old Town Road by Lil Nas X. I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. Check out Overspace's work in the links in the show notes.
the episode i'd love to hear your thoughts on the podcast or suggestions of a song or music topic leaving a rating or review on your podcasting platform is a great way to share that with me and helps overtone warp zone gain some exposure you can also email me at overtonewarpzone at gmail.com and you can stay updated on podcast news by following me on social media everywhere at otwz podcast If you found some enjoyment from this podcast and want to give your support, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash overtone warp zone. Until next time, keep playing. <laughs>